Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by State Farm. Look, as you guys know, I tend to give it to you straight. And while I know a lot of things, I also know there are times when I need to lean on others for help. When it comes to insurance, State Farm is the one I count on. I love that they make insurance easy. You can monitor your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim with their app, which was just awarded Best Insurance Mobile App of 2019. And thanks to their network of 19,000 agents, you'll have someone local to walk you through options and help you choose a policy that truly meets your needs versus cookie cutter coverage. But what I appreciate most is that they don't mess around. They don't bother with gimmicks or games, just helpful guidance you can rely on. Go out and get the insurance you deserve. Get State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote or find an agent at statefarm.com. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Thank you to Yola Tango, as always, for letting us use their music in the introduction. You know, we've been changing up the podcast structure a lot, from doing a too-small-to-fail series about restaurants and small business, something that we just released with Corey Lee earlier this week, and uh, we have a bunch of chefs scheduled, and I don't think it's just going to be chefs, it's going to be people that are independent business owners. We've done, you know, a series on dads, had Chris Ying come on a bunch and all kinds of ideas. And the one thing that we had planned on three and a half months ago was this pre-opening diaries. And it's funny how quickly the world changes, thinking that there would be a lot of things that would be opening up continuously. And obviously that's not the case anymore, but I'm proud that I was able to record this podcast with Alan Yang and have a very good conversation. I think for two friends, we hadn't gotten this intense, I think, about being Asian American, about Alan sort of finding his Taiwanese heritage in his sort of mid-30s. And, um, you know, better late than never. And I I think the movie's a, a beautiful testament of where he's at artistically, where he's at personally. And that growth is something that I've been watching as a friend for 10 plus years. And it's something that I can see in myself and other Asian Americans. It's great to have that solidarity. I am not Taiwanese American, but so many of the stories of Asian Americans and the immigrant story is the same. And watching this movie you know, it triggered a lot of things. And I don't want to get too into it because it's going to release tomorrow. And, uh, you know, we had thought we were going to do a variety of pre-opening diaries that weren't just restaurants, music, books, so on and so forth. And we did this one in Los Angeles and uh, I was excited. At the time we recorded this podcast, I had not seen the movie and he was still, I think Alan was probably like 85, 90% done. And if you don't know Alan Yang, you know, the co-creator of Master of None was one of the producers of Parks and Recreation. He did Forever with Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph on Amazon. He's done a lot of great work in such a short time frame, you know. I mean, he's been working in Hollywood as a screenwriter and director and producer for a long time now, uh, mainly because I think he graduated high school, college when he was like 19 or something like that. So. Here you have someone that could have done anything. And if you look at the Asian American stereotype, should have been a doctor, lawyer, scientist, something like that. And the fact that Alan is at the forefront of his field in comedy, in directing, and uh, just sort of being a great screenwriter, producer, on top of being a really good person, I couldn't be more excited than to have him tell a story and uh, talk about the creative process of making Tiger Tail. And Alan is probably one of the calmest, most reserved, unflappable characters I know. And um, I was really moved in, in a positive way, not to see him in great discomfort, but the last sort of uh, couple months before he finished the movie, and he was about, again, almost done editing and he was doing the scoring of this movie, he was just like on a vision quest. I've never seen him this, not frazzles the right word, but he was so in it. It was the kind of focus and concentration that uh, I had seen 
only in, maybe in the restaurant business and that pain and anguish because you're so dead set on getting something finished. You just need this release and you can't have it till it's done. And, you know, we haven't done a pre-opening diaries in a long time, but the state that Alan is in, in this podcast is why I wanted a pre-opening diaries. I think it tells so much about a window in time of an individual, about where they're at, all the insecurities they have, all the anxiety to sort of bare your soul and be naked in front of the world. And I wanted to do pre-opening diaries because I think it's an interesting time to allow the creator to sort of give the liner notes as to their vision and what the book or film or music might be about. And this is uh, Alan's opportunity to sort of tell the people that might be critics, tell the audience that might judge what to be in store for, to sort of prime them. And I think that this podcast and being able to do pre-opening diaries was and is instrumental to me because I love giving people that I love a platform to talk about what they're working on. And, um, you know, this podcast is a lot of different things, but I think at its core, it's about being able to celebrate the goodness and the sort of endeavors of what other people believe in. And, you know, Tiger Tail is a very personal story for Alan. And at its core, talks about his father's Taiwanese immigration to America and sort of the hardships that so many immigrants had before coming to this country and all they had to sacrifice. And um, I don't want to talk too much about the movie. I love that Alan's got his own flavor, and I think Tiger Tail has that in spades. So we uh, had a great conversation, and it makes me nostalgic for having a face-to-face conversation, something that I haven't had with friends other than Zoom and FaceTime and such. And uh, I can't wait to give him a, a hug in real life very soon and congratulate him for a beautiful movie. I will shut up and... Here is our conversation with Alan Yang, director, creator of Tiger Tail, movie premiering on Netflix. I'm with my good friend, Alan Yang, visiting us again. We did a podcast a little over a year ago that was like a two-parter. Good to have you back. Thanks for having me, buddy. Always good to be here. We are doing something a little bit different. When we open up Major Domo and some of the other restaurants, we've done a series called The Pre-Opening Diaries. And I think not only was it fun to do and illuminating for myself and the employees and the customers to get some kind of transparency as to why and how we've done this, there are a lot of people that I know and that I'm friends with that are constantly creating creating amazing new projects. And Alan's a prodigious artist. Um, and <clears throat> if you haven't, Listen to his pod or listen or watch some of his shows. It's Parks and Rec, Master of None, Forever. And right now he's working on a project called <clears throat> Tiger Tail for Netflix. And it's uh, uh, your first feature film that you're directing. That's right. And I thought it would be interesting for Alan to be a guinea pig because he's always up for new shit to try to do a pre sort of opening diaries of my friend's projects about three to six months before it actually gets released. And that's where he's at right now is in the, the finishing editing stages. Um, it is currently, what's the date? De- December 8th or something? Something like that. December 7th, <clears throat> 6th, 5th. Jesus. <laughs> and when, do you have an idea when Tiger Tail is going to release? It looks like it's going to be March 2020. So something around then. Um, and on Netflix... And when did you start this project? God, I was just thinking about that this morning because I knew I was coming in to talk to you. It would probably be somewhere around 2016, either late 2016, 2017. I remember working on the script. And one of the reasons I have a really vivid memory of it is because we were working on season two of Master of None, which came out in 2017. And I remember we were scouting Italian locations because some of that season took place in Italy. And I remember flying back um, from Scout, sitting next to Aziz on the plane, and he saw me like in the middle of the night working on a script in Final Draft, and he was like, "Wait, are you working on a script that isn't the show <laughs> that we're doing the show?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Okay, that's cool. Like, I'm working on a movie too." Like, 
And so, you know, at a certain point, we sort of traded scripts and he read some of mine. But, you know, it probably dates back to even before then because I've always, you know, worked on movies, written written movies, done rewrites, uh, stuff like that. Um, but I knew I wanted my first movie to be something very personal and something um, that came from my own experiences. And so for this one, man, I mean, I started writing it probably late 2016 and a lot of drafts went into it, basically. Um, I, I I kind of relate it to— So this is four years. This is a long time. But yeah, this is also—it was also a crazy stab because, uh, as you guys will see, it's an entirely Asian and Asian-American cast. There's no— non-Asian people in it. And at the time, this is, keep in mind, this is pre-Crazy Rich Asians, pre-Farewell. I mean, it was kind of insane to even try to make a movie that was all Asian people. You know, a lot of the movies in Mandarin and Taiwanese and, you know, a lot of it takes place in the past in Taiwan. So I don't know. I don't think I was thinking about the feasibility of the project. I just wrote it because it was meaningful to me. And knowing you as well as I do, you, you're just constantly writing stuff anyway. I mean, just for the creative process, because that's just what you like to do. Yeah, I mean, by no means what I say, I wake up every day and I'm super excited to write. It's just, it, it. I think if you want to make stuff, you have to try to do it as much as you can because a lot of what you make is going to be bad. <laughs> so the, the, the really, truly, I think what helps is making a lot of stuff and and writing, trying to write every day. And um, in all honestly, in all in all honesty, um, it's funny Aziz and I were talking about this. Before this script, I had written a whole entirely other script, and I showed it to him, and he had written one too, and we we kind of exchanged them, and we were both like, "Yeah, these are both kind of B pluses. I think we should make these." And then I just never, I put it in a drawer and never looked at that script again. <laughs> it just it wasn't good enough. So, um, oftentimes you have to write an entire script and realize it's not good. I mean, you shouldn't try to do that, but it ends up happening. And so for this one, um, it, it was a long process as well. And and when I first started writing it. Um, it's kind of just to sum up kind of what the movie is. It's 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 a drama, which is kind of unlike uh, a lot of the other stuff I've done, and it's loosely inspired by my own family, uh, primarily my dad and my sister. And uh, when I first started writing it, it was about everyone in the family, and it was almost this kind of crazy Jonathan Friends and Correction style sprawling script with chapters based from other people's point, everyone's points of view, and and I had this monster two hundred two hundred fifty page script and. I liken it to sort of this thing I think I read that Stephen King said where, you know, instead of thinking about writing as sort of building a structure, he was comparing it to you're kind of uncovering a fossil. And so you're you're just every day you scrape some dirt off of it and you keep scraping dirt off of it and then you brush the final dust off of it and then you see what it is. You see the skeleton of what it is. And that's kind of what happened with this one where I look back and it's kind of staggering. There's 200 drafts of the script or whatever. And... The beginning ones are just, you know, super, again, like I said, wide and sprawling in scope. And then I kind of narrowed it down to what was the most important and interesting parts of the story. And that became sort of the spine of the story. And we had dinner with uh, Steven uh, probably a couple months ago, right, right when it started to get cold in New York City. And I saw something, uh, and Steve Jang was with us as well. I saw something that I hadn't seen before in you. Because if you don't know Alan, he's cool. He's always composed. And I rarely see him frazzled. And not that you were frazzled. <laughs> but what I did see is something that I've seen in myself and other people that are creating something, particularly like, say, opening a restaurant, is the the crazy eyes insanity period <laughs> that I like to describe. And I was yeah. like, oh, I've seen this before in myself and others in restaurants. But I hadn't—while I've talked to you when you've been doing your filming for the other shows you've made, they haven't been as personal or this. And, like, it's not—you've had other help, I think. This is all on you. And I saw something that I was like, we have to talk about this. Yeah. And maybe we could talk about it now when it's still fresh in your head because uh, when the movie comes out, you're going to be inundated with other press and other commitments, and you're going to not be frazzled, but you're going to be in a different state of mind. We're still catching you at the tail end— of the creative process, in my opinion. It's it's the very tail end. And I, I think what Dave is saying, you're, you're saying is exactly right. It, this one was, it's a battle, man. Making a movie is a battle. And you're right that on my other projects, what I, one thing I really like about television and every show I've ever co-created uh, and worked on, you know, I've been doing with other people. And that's such an amazing sort of 
collaborative process that I really enjoy, you know, whether it's Aziz or whether it's Matt Hubbard on Forever or, you know, all of the writers on Parks and Rec that I worked with. Um, it's, 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 there's a joy to that and it's, it's very fun. And, you know, obviously there's some challenges as well, but for this one, man, it, you know, I was just looking at, you know, some marketing, you know, posters and stuff. And on the poster, it says, written, produced, and directed by Alan Yang. I was like, oh, man, that's just so much. Stuff. That's a lot of stuff. It, like, says that on the poster. I'm like, there's just too many. It's, it's a lot of things. Not too many. But What makes it but, so scary? Because a lot of people never know what this feeling is like. It, it, one of the things that I realized while making it is, is, you know, this, again, this was a really personal one for me. And when you're writing about your family and you're, it's, it's essentially, you know, obviously it's not a one-to-one, it's not completely factual, but it's, you know, there's that inspiration and, um, you don't want to let people down. You want, you know, and all these people worked so hard on it. And from day one, when you're starting to meet with producers and you're meeting with the studio and, and all those people who believed in you, and then throughout, when you're hiring all the people, every department head, everyone who killed themselves making the movie, all of your actors, um, all of your producers, all of everyone down the line, and all the way down to the you know post production. And you're, you know, I'm, I was texting with my editor David uh, Daniel Hayworth uh, earlier today. He and I were just in a room together for like a year. <laughs> I mean, it's like you know going in every day and just looking at the movie and trying to make it better in any way we could. And so I think. It, it, people ask me a lot what the difference between movies and television is, and I love doing both. Like, I honestly, like, n- there's no irony there. I really love doing both. It, this was just a stone that you're polishing for, like I said, three years. <laughs> it's really, it's a, it's, it's a, it, it's, a, it's a, it's a real battle, and um, I'm incredibly proud of how the movie turned out. But it. And you're still editing, right? Still, I'm pretty much done. So it's pretty much locked and mixed and colored and all that. And that, and that's the other thing about the process is, if you have a final cut of the movie, then you're going into finishing. You know, you're 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 going in with other artists. You know, the color correction people and the and the sound mixers, and you're working with a composer. That was a whole other thing where that's a very creative process and a very specific, interesting process of its own. And by the way, it's not over yet. Even if the movie is locked, now we're doing marketing, publicity, we're cutting the trailer, we're doing all the, and I'm involved in all of that stuff. There's people I love to work with who are incredible artists in their own right. You know, literally right now, you know, I'm working with Don Bailey, who's one of the greatest, you know, poster art people in the world. She did the poster for Silence of the Lambs, you know, which is like an iconic poster. And Mark Woolen is cutting the trailer and, you know, he did the trailer for The Revenant and he does the Coen Brothers and Spike Jones and all these movies. And, and so now we're doing that. And you know, guess what? They're sending you their stuff, and now you're doing that stuff too. So it just it it you truly think it ends, but it doesn't. And and honestly, um, I was talking to one of the actors from the movie, and she was saying, "Oh, now we get into publicity mode. That's a whole other thing. Now we got to put together screenings. We got to get the word out. You know, this isn't you know Avengers Nine or whatever. This is a this is a this is an art house movie with an all Asian cast and no big names really. So it, it really, um, you know, now we, we got to get the word out and, and, and get people to really get behind it and support it. And I think a big part of that, by the way, is the Asian American community. So thank you for having me even on this pod. You know what I mean? It's like, we got to sort of look out for each other because no one else is going to do it. And I think, you know, a lot of other communities like the black community and the gay community have done a good job of supporting the stuff that their communities have made. And as Asian Americans, I think a lot of times we're sort of a far flung group of people and, and it's a, it's a big ass continent, you know, Asia is a big continent, but I love when we look out for each other, you know, it's really, uh, and, and by the way, that goes for across communities as well. You know, we were talking about um, as we're taping this, Queen and Slim just came out, which is Lena and Melina's movie, um, who I met on Master of None. And, you know, me and some of my friends are buying out a theater for Lena and Melina because it's like, you know, let's all support each other. And um, so it, it's 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 been, uh, that's a long-winded way of saying um, it's a, making a movie is a battle. And and it, it just stretches out for a long time. <clears throat> One of the things that I liked about doing a pre-opening diaries because I'm always concerned, and as I'm sure you are, is how it's going to be received, any creative endeavor, because you pour so much, as you've just heard you speak, into this. The last thing anyone wants, no one's creating something so it's not loved. You want something that's great, particularly your standard of excellence. And I found that so much of today, at least in food and the media, 
without sounding like Donald Trump, anything like that at all. But it's just too hard to see all the perspectives because once you go on the publicity, once a restaurant opens, the narrative starts to get out of your hands and into others. And I think one of the positive, powerful things about doing the pre-opening diaries on my end, which is what I want to extend to you, was in the freshest way possible that's not adulterated by it already being out there so people know that it's like almost like an alibi. Yeah. This is what I think. This is what I feel. And I hopefully, like, these are the things that you're going to pick up. And then we'll do this again maybe like a month or two weeks or maybe the week that it opens up because you're going to be in a different state again and you're going to see some of the criticism and how it's perceived. Yeah. And I think that if this comes out, maybe we can actually get your viewpoint about what people should be seeing before the movie comes out. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Like right now is when the movie's still pristine. It's perfect in my mind right now because it's like no one has seen, obviously not a perfect movie, but you're the only one who's seen it. You know, it's like, I'm I'm the only one who's seen it along with a few other people who have sort of worked with me along the way. But, um, and then you're right. It becomes out of your control at a certain point. And when it's a good reception, it's great, you know? Yeah, but but I've actually come to peace with the idea that this sounds really sort of philosophical, but it really is about the process and it really is about making it. And particularly with this film, it's given me so much in my life and, Mm. and, and not to, not to be cheesy about it, honestly, but it's made me rethink the way I'm living my life. And particularly, uh, and this is, this is getting a little bit personal, but, um, you know, I have been someone who growing up went to Chinese school once and then I hated it and then I quit. (laughs) So, uh, and my parents were cool about it. You know, my parents didn't push me. They knew I had a lot of other stuff going on. Um, and so I kind of grew up, you know, I grew up in a, in a, in a neighborhood where there weren't that many Asian people. And, um, I never, I was never that in touch with my Asian roots growing up. And I think my parents allowed that to happen because they wanted me to fit in and to have friends and to get along with all of the different kinds of people at my school. Um, but you know, as you get older, you realize that's a part of you, and it's never going away. You know what I mean? And and a big part of that is your family. And so making this movie, which is very much about my family, um, it just started making me think about it and making me feel like I owed it to my family to to understand them better and to reach out and spend more time with them. And I started learning Mandarin, and so that kind of bridged a gap in my life and, and, and this sort of treads on the story of the movie a little bit, but, um, you know, even going to Taiwan, you know, I hadn't gone to Taiwan since I was seven years old. And then finally I went back when I was in my late twenties with my dad for the first time in 20 years. And, uh, you know, it, it really making the movie, the process of making it, as I mentioned, was incredibly illuminating in some ways. And and a it lot changed of, you. it changed me. And a lot of you know, a lot of the actors in the movie spoke no English. So I, here I was, an Asian American director in Taiwan with a Taiwanese crew and Taiwanese actors, and I couldn't speak to them. <laughs> I mean that's like a, that's an interesting thing. But the inter- the other interesting thing was I can understand a little bit. So consider a world where you can understand the language being spoken around you, but you can't speak it. And so at a certain point, because I couldn't really speak it, the crew members and the actors and the assistant directors and everybody were talking about me, not realizing I could understand what they were saying. <laughs> and mostly good stuff, which is great. But, um, you know, it was funny. I used a translator a lot of the time to give notes to the actors. And sometimes he would freelance and say random shit. And I was like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I would say like, hey, for this one, you know, tell him to pace it down a little bit and, and, and you know, act a little, whatever. And then I would hear him give the note to the actor. And he said, you know, for this one, uh, this take, uh, why don't you pretend like it's the first time you two have met? I was like, no, 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 you can't do that. I, I ran in there. I was like, you, why are you telling them that? That's the wrong note. And he didn't realize that I understood Mandarin. So, it, you know, it was, it was kind of, a, a, you know, Shooting a movie in a, in a in a different country is 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 a whole other adventure of its own, you know. Uh, I've seen this change in you, and I wonder because as two guys that have gotten to know each other really well over the years, we've almost joked about how little we know or any slash care. That's not the right word, but we were independent of the 
cultures our parents are from. And I think we prided ourselves on having that independence. I wonder, is it something in the water or is it just us getting older? I'm a few years older than you, but is it just the cultural zeitgeist right now as well, where if you asked me 10 years ago if I'd ever be in a place where being Korean matters more than ever, I'd probably say not a chance in hell. But what's been happening? I think it's a confluence of a lot of things. I think getting older is definitely part of it. And I think, you know, for you, you you've gotten married, you have a kid, and, and now you've got to think about that. And, and I think that's really important. Um, I think there is a weird cultural zeitgeist sort of um, movement, I think, that goes across cultures and across all of these societal boundaries that is kind of telling everybody it's okay to be who you are. I know that sounds like, you know, weird, highfalutin, pretentious stuff, but it is celebrating the differences we have as opposed to making people conform. And I think when we were growing up, you know, in the 80s, 90s, whenever it was, um, man, it was a hustle to, to, to fit in. You know what I mean? It was like, and I think, you, I can't speak for you, but it feels like both you and I, we're proud of ourselves for kicking ass in America. You know what I mean? Right. Like we were American. We were like, I was an I was an all American boy. Like I played sports. I played, you know, I played in a rock band. Like you know, it was it was really uh, it it was a it was a it was a sort of fitting in kind you of. You were able to succeed on American terms, exactly. Like and, and you very much did, right? Yeah. yeah. Very much. No, I. <laughs> no, David's stressing. David. David's so proud of me right I'm now. Proud of her, like graduated Harvard from like like age whatever ten, <laughs> you know, and 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 you did. Hey, you that's also a, an Asian dream. <laughs> remarkable career, but you did it on your terms. And as your friend, like we met through Aziz in Japan of all places. I was like, I just was your friend because of what you b- did, what you believed in. It was just like commonalities. But again, it was like. I almost liked the fact that you were successful not because you were Taiwanese-American. That was, man, that's a huge thing. That, like, honestly, when I was starting out as a writer and then later as a producer-director, I didn't. I felt like I didn't want to use it as a crutch, if that makes sense. You didn't want to be known as, hey, you know, that guy's a good Asian writer. You know, that guy writes some Asian stuff for you. It's like, and you never wanted to do that. You wanted to prove yourself. And I think as we matured as 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 creators, um, you, you just become more comfortable with with yourself. And and honestly, like I, I I don't know if I've told this story before, but I wrote a pilot when I was twenty five or twenty six years old, really early on in my career, and it was about the relationship between a a, 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 a sort of young guy and his dad, like an adult adult and his dad. And um, at a certain point, I think I was working with Greg Daniels a little bit, who uh, created The Office and created uh, Parks and Rec co-created and he said he read and he said well why don't you make them asian i was like we can't cast this thing you know what i mean it was like it was like it was 10 years ago or whatever and and i was terrified that it couldn't get made because by the way the last asian american sitcom was all american girl with margaret cho in like 1994 or something and so for me as a 25 year old trying to sell a script i would never make the characters asian and so at the same time, I was kind of using the market as an excuse because why wouldn't you have the courage to do that? Why wouldn't you have, you know, yeah, say, be bold and, and say, this is my experience and let's put it out there. So I think as we've gotten older and gotten a little bit more freedom at the same time, you know, Aziz and I have talked about this before. When we first started writing Master of None, the pilot before the show was even on the air, it was a much more boring show. It was kind of him in New York, just like dating and stories like that. It was like Friends or something, which not to say Friends is a boring show. It's a great show, but it was less specific, right? And so uh, we kind of, we got this sort of, we hit the jackpot by, not hit the jackpot, we, we sort of, you know, we got lucky because Parks and Recreation got picked up for another year and we got another year to sort of work on the show. And we kind of realized, holy shit, we get to make this thing, so we better make it not only as good as possible, but as specific as possible. And at a certain point, when we're talking about my personal point of view, your personal point of view as a chef, that's part of you, man. It's really part of you. And it doesn't mean everything you got to do has got to be about being Asian or about, it's got to be about race. That, that bothers me too. When someone like, I remember when Forever came out and, you know, some journalists would ask, hey, why isn't there like any, like, you know, why aren't you talking about race in this show? I was like, I got to talk about race in every show I do. Like, we're going to, I plan to make a lot of stuff. Not everything's going to be about race. And by the way, 
There's an entire episode with a romance between a black man and an Asian woman where they talk about race a lot for like half People an hour. People see what they want to see. Yeah, exactly. Like this one isn't talking about race every episode. Um, but, you know, it is, we talk a lot about how, you know, how often do we talk about being Asian? You know, it doesn't come up every day maybe, but when you're having dinner, it might come up, you know, it might come up with your relationships, when we are with, with family. Like Cho and like our friends that are Asian, we talk about Asian-ness all the time. Yeah, because it's funny and like <laughs> it's a common experience, you know? But uh, it's something we've, again, talked more and more about. Do you feel that in the in your trajectory of your career as you were creating and you had more autonomy and more projects at your disposal that there was a, a segment of the Asian population that was guilting you as to why you weren't representing Taiwanese or Asian American culture more, you know, openly? I haven't gotten that as much, but I can see it happening. You know what I mean? If, let, let's say in a hypothetical parallel universe, my first movie is about 10 white people. <laughs> I would have gotten some backlash. And I don't know that that's, by the way, deserved. I think people, number one, should be free to be able to make whatever they want, whatever they're passionate about, whatever essentially my benchmark is, what do I wake up in the morning? I just have to work on, you know, it's like, what am I thinking about when I go to bed? What am I thinking about in the shower? What am I thinking about when I'm driving? That's how I decide what I want to work on. That's how I decide what I want to put a ton of mental energy and time into spending, like we mentioned, three years of your life on or you know, if it's a TV show, however long you're going to work on it, it could be 10 years. So um, that may may well be a sci-fi project that's uh, that's an all-black cast. That may well be, you know, a, a period drama that is set in 16th century England. Fine. But I will say, as someone who now, like you said, has a little bit more autonomy, has a little bit more freedom, has the ability to put projects together, you know, has relationships with actors, all of that stuff. Yeah, I feel like, if I'm not going to make high quality Asian shit, like, you know, there's not that many other people who have the luxury of being able to at this point. And there's, you know, there's a ton of up and coming Asian American directors and producers and writers. And, and, and there's some that are at the top of their game right now. But there aren't as many as there are from, you know, some other categories of people. Mm -hmm. So I definitely feel a responsibility in that respect. But fortunately for me, that's also dovetailed with. It's what I care about. You know, it's a big part of what I care about. Not every show and movie I'm going to do is going to be about Asian Americans. But by the way, I read some interview with Jordan Peele and he said, yeah, I think every movie I do is going to star black people. I'm like, good for you. Because <laughs> he's like, he's like, I've seen a lot of these movies with white people. And he's right. You know what I mean? It's like we have, in his case, you know, 60 years of horror movies and there's pretty much no black people in them. There's definitely no Asian people. So, yeah, it's an interesting spin to have a horror movie starring a black guy or starring an Asian woman, you know? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Right now, we can't be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, and to stay focused. We have to work to inspire, to innovate, to build new solutions. But for all of this to work, we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, they connect employers and people every day. But today is different. They are partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators, and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure they are finding the right people for the right jobs right now. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. Today's show is also brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass lets you learn from the best with exclusive access to online classes taught by the masters of their craft. You can learn California cuisine from the great Alice Waters, French cuisine from Thomas Keller, and my favorite, barbecue from Aaron Franklin, one of the greatest chefs in the world, in my opinion. With over 80 instructors across tons of categories, there's literally something for everyone. You can even learn how to hostage negotiate from a former FBI hostage negotiator. It's been awesome going down the rabbit hole of Masterclass because I got a lot more time on my hands and learning from the top experts in their field is keeping my mind stimulated and very, very engaged. The Masterclass app is accessible on your phone, web, Apple TV, or Amazon Fire TV. Each class is broken out into individual video lessons and downloadable materials, all of which you can explore at your own pace. Lessons are about 10 to 15 minutes in length so that they can fit into your schedule whenever you're making time to learn a new skill or master a hobby. Buy one annual Masterclass all-access pass for yourself and get one free to share. It's an amazing gift. My friends love it. 
Go to masterclass.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G, to get started with this limited time offer. That's masterclass.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G. And now, back to the show. It's a strange place to be a creator right now of someone, a group that has been underrepresented, in my opinion, and what's going to sound like a non sequitur. You know, in college, I, I, I had a class from... Uh, this guy that studied under Walter Kaufman, who's like the great Nietzsche scholar at Princeton. And he had a great quote about uh, the Jewish faith and any religion in general that you're from. Um, the harshest critics come from those that come from the faith itself. And I've always been attuned and keeping my ear to the ground as to the criticism that I've received from Korean Americans and then Asian Americans in general that, ah, oh, he's just he's just making food for white people. <laughs> Um, it's sort of sellouty, and it's 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 almost borderline calling me like an Asian Uncle Tom sometimes. I and I know what they're saying, but I'm also like the harshest critics of your work are probably not going to come from white people. They're going to come from Taiwanese Americans, yes. and they're going to say this isn't the reality that is real. What do you say about that? Because this is the first time anyone's been able to have this kind of criticism. Yeah, and and uh, you know. For one, you know, I kind of feel like, in famous last words, but I want to hear it all. You know what I mean? It's like, not by the way, I've seen movies that I thought were masterpieces. And then I walk out and my friend's like, man, it's like a B plus. It's like, you know, and so you just don't know, right? Like, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Scorsese, you're Paul Thomas Anderson, you're any of these guys. You make a movie for like three years and not everyone's going to like it. And they may have their own specific reasons. They may have whatever's going on in their personal life and whatever their personal experiences. And I think this can be categorized as a subset of that. And and it's totally valid, I think, for someone to watch Tiger Tail and say, you know, that's not how they, I don't want this representing all Asian Americans or something, whatever criticism they may have, or this isn't authentic, or by the way, like some, I'll, I'll say this right off the bat, some of the accents when some of the actors speak Mandarin aren't perfect because not all the actors are Taiwanese in the movie. And so, yeah, some of them don't have Taiwanese accents. I tried, <laughs> you know, I tried to make everyone in the movie Taiwanese or Taiwanese American, but you know, it's not always possible. So we're taking baby steps in that direction. And um, you know, it's it, it, it really is, um, it's a process. And I think we're at the very beginning of our sort of journey towards having a really robust well, That's why I really, work. I want to have you on this podcast. And hopefully this is a series that we could do more of because I think it can be incredibly liberating to have the ability to explain things that are nuanced that may not be picked up in the moment you have to do the publicity machine. Because I think if you're going to sort of, uh, get ahead of potential criticism, which I think is a smart move in general, even if everyone likes it, just to red team it and think about it, is the first and foremost, if it's meaningful to you as a Taiwanese-American, then the first and foremost criticism probably is going to come from that people that are Taiwanese immigrants, people from Taiwan in general. Yeah. And for anyone that's not Taiwanese or Asian-American or doesn't come from a, 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 a group that's underrepresented, they may not understand why someone would be so critical because— this has never happened before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, no one's had a chance to bitch about the fact that, well, that accent's not perfect Taiwanese. Like, exactly. Think about how insane this yeah, is. Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> the movie starts with like five minutes of just Taiwanese. So think about how crazy that is. Like, I wouldn't have thought this was possible four years ago. Like, literally, like, who, this movie got made. It's, 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 it, 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 it and, and the one thing I would say, you know, talking to people who have worked on it and now a few people who have seen it, I was like, can you believe this thing got made? It's it's so specific and it's so heartfelt from this specific experience. I, I'm stunned and I, I feel incredibly fortunate. I feel incredibly lucky to have been able to make this movie. And by the way, credit goes to Ted Sarandos and everyone at Netflix for financing the movie because it's an easy— but, I'll Uncle tell you right Ted. now. I'll tell, well, you know, I'm telling you, it's an easy no. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> like you get this script and, and that's, you know, I— I sent the script to Ted and, and because we had, you know, a relationship from Master of None and, you know, he loved the script, but, but kudos to them for knowingly making a movie where, you know, we're not going to get Leo for this movie. <laughs> he can't be in it. You know what I mean? We don't, we, we don't have, we literally don't have the stars to, to, to star in this and hopefully we can make more stars, but, but that it's an incredible thing. And, and, and so here's the other thing I would say is 
the reason I would also welcome that criticism and understand it um, is because I think it comes from a place of love in the sense that they want this thing to be perfect because we have so few examples of this kind of movie. And secondly, they're also going to love it more. It's all the ceiling for them loving the movie, I think, is so high because of what we said of how novel in some ways it is and original in some ways. But just relating to that is going to be the ceiling is going to be higher for someone who's Asian American or Taiwanese American. I do think we're in such a nascent stage in terms of Asian American creators. We're so far behind in some ways. And, and that has to do with everyone. That has to do with, you know, studio executives, people behind the camera and people in front of the camera. You know, I think that's a natural segue into, like you were saying, casting this movie is not trivial. It's just not trivial. It's it's not like casting a, a multiracial movie or a movie with with uh, you know, for, for lack of a better word, a lot of white stars because you have options. You know what I mean? You just you're almost picking and choosing at that point. You're making your own. For this, it's you're hunting. You know, you're really hunting just because the, it's just a numbers game in some way. You're really trying to leave no stone stone unturned. And you know, uh, I loved our casting director Terry Taylor. She did Crazy Rich Asians, and she has a lot of experience. But it's not easy, you know what I mean? And, and that's one of the reasons, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, some of the actors like, hey, their accents might, might not be perfect. You know, Tai Ma is one of the leads of this film. And the reason I cast Tai Ma is because he's an incredible actor. He's, he's, he has to carry the movie in some parts of the movie. And he has the chops. He's acted for years. He's in Arrival. He plays, you know, essentially my dad in the movie. He plays Mulan's dad. Hey, there's a reason Mulan cast him because he's the best guy there. You know, he's the best guy there is. And yeah, he speaks Cantonese. So his Mandarin has an accent. But you know what? Can you forgive me for that one? Because <laughs> he's really, really, really good. And, and it's stuff like that, you know. And, and for some of the other parts, you know, it was a battle. It was literally like, okay, we're casting the Taiwanese parts there. I flew to Taiwan and met with all of the actors who were even close. You know, the production got me a hotel room with uh, us and the producers and and we had the actors come in and it's a totally different system there. They don't they don't audition traditionally. You you come in and you read with the people or, you, or sorry, you, you just meet with them generally first. You just talk to them and see if you can gain some sort of rapport. And then if it goes well after you've sort of, you know, gained some sort of trust with them. Then you subtly ask if you can read a few lines with them. And then only then are you kind of doing the audition. And I did this once with, you know, an actress came in to audition to play the, uh, the grandma part and, you know, meeting went pretty well. And, and, and we started, we started doing the, 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 uh, the scene and she was incredible. She's like, Oh my, I was like, Oh my God, this person's so charismatic. She's an incredible actress. She left the room. I was like, wow, she's really good. And my producer was like, yeah, she's like the Meryl Streep of Taiwan. <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, shit. I didn't know, man. Like, like, you know, that's, that's what we were dealing with where, um, I just don't, you know, I'm doing my best I can to research everybody, to watch all the tape I can to, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's really, um, again, like you were saying, this was a labor of love. This was a labor of love. And that's why I, I wanted to like really start and focus the beginning of this with that sort of group of people in mind is that your fiercest critics might actually be the people that should be supporting you the most and that can be disheartening. It really can. Because this is the other thing, I think. Because you've been so extremely successful by doing other kinds of work that have almost very little to do just with anything that's an Asian identity, I think in both ways, both from the cr potential criticism that it's not Taiwanese enough, but also from uh, the American understanding or white culture media they forget that you're Asian, too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you feel that? For sure. Because you've been so successful? I mean, I mean, look, I think, I don't know who said it first, but I think a big part of growing up Asian American is you're never going to be American enough for American people, and you're never going to be Asian enough for Asian people. You know? Like, the feeling I get, I don't know about you, but if I fly to, to Taipei and I walk around Taipei, everyone looks like me. And yet I feel like I have almost nothing in common with them <laughs> because we have different cultures. We have different points of reference. We've seen different television shows. We follow different sports. I can't speak their language. And yet, and yet, everyone looks so much like me as opposed to when I walk down the street in New York or L.A. You know what I mean? It's, 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 a, it's, it's a uniquely 
Asian American experience, I think, because you're kind of between these two worlds. And um, I've definitely sort of made peace with it. And I enjoy being in both worlds. And I, I feel like, you know, I think Lena said at some point, you know, what makes you different is also your superpower. And, and that's why one of the reasons why I will continue to make Asian American work, not exclusively, perhaps, but oh, I want to make more. You know, I literally like the, your, that dinner you were talking about with, you know, when we were eating with Steve Yun, like, I'd love to do something with Steve. I'd love to do something with, um, you know, John Cho. I'd love to do something with all of these uh, Asian American actors and actresses who are coming up now. You know, it, it's it's really, it's it, it, it's it's going to happen, you know? So the universality of Tiger Tail, if you are still Asian American, and again, I'm not Taiwanese, what can people sort of see? What are you hoping that they're going to get from a personal story that is not only about your life, but it's also your upbringing? So I'm Korean. What, what, do you want this to be universal? I mean, I know you do, but what can someone that's just Asian pick it, up from this? It ends up being, and, and this is, I'll, I'll speak from the most universal to maybe the most specific. The movie to me is a movie about honesty. It's a movie about love and it's a movie about regret. And I feel like those are pretty universal themes. Um, there's, it's about, and, and to get more granular, a big theme of the movie is, like I said, communication and honesty. And for the Asian community, and I think the Asian culture, not to overgeneralize, but I think I've seen this trend happen. It certainly happened in my own family. If you grow up in Asia, which my parents did, it is often seen as a sign of strength to be a stoic, to be beyond emotion or to be able to rise above it. And there's a line very early on in the movie where my grandma, or actually my dad's grandma tells him, don't cry, you know, be strong. Essentially that, and that's one of the themes of the movie is that's what he was taught. And, you know, that has ramifications when you raise a family of your own mm -hmm. and you have children and you're then unable to express your own emotions to them and with them and for them. And so that's one of the themes running through the movie. But I will say this, that's not an only an Asian thing. You know what I mean? Like that is a very, that's a male thing. That's a, you know, that's a very masculine thing to not be able to express your emotions. That is a generational thing. I think the farther you go back, you know, in history, the less people sort of tended to express their emotions. This is the wildest leap and connection I'm going to make. But, uh, you know, I directed this Jay-Z video. And after he played the album for me, I talked to him about it a little bit. And I said, one of the things I said was, I thought this was very brave in some ways. This was the uh, 444 album. Your ability to express your emotions on this record and be vulnerable and admit that you cried and admit that you were ashamed and that you, you know, talking about your relationship with your mother, with your wife, all of those things is very powerful because you're one of the only paragons and symbols of masculinity in American culture. And if you can start doing this, then that's a lesson for all mm -hmm. of us. And so that is a way, my way of saying, look, it's very specific to us because I think in Asian families, by the way, I taught my parents to hug when I was 25 years old. <laughs> so that, that, like, think about that. And that's part of the movie. But at the same time, you know, fathers don't always express themselves to their daughters. And they don't always share their experiences. They don't always, they're not always honest about their past. And so I think all of those themes from what I've heard from from people who watch the movie who are who are fathers themselves or who don't happen to be Asian um, have come away with a sense that it was a story they could relate to and that I'm very proud of. I never thought we'd ever have this kind of fucking conversation. <laughs> this is one of the most emotional conversations we've ever had. Yeah. We've known each other for like 10 years. Yeah. Um, but it's important that we have this conversation because you're right in, in just you talking about this. Again, like I'm working on a memoir right now and I know a lot of this is about your dad and Asian Asians have just very, I think at times strained and stressful relationships with their parents, especially immigrants. Um, there are a lot of things about being a new father that I love, but there are a lot of things that make me more critical of my dad than ever before because some things rise above your culture and no one's perfect and everyone's flawed. But what I tend to forget time and time again for all of the parenting methods that I did not agree with and still don't agree with, I wasn't a product of war. 
I have no idea what it's like to lose everything. No conception. And that and 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 you'll see that in you know in the movie as well. It's like it's you cannot believe the crucible they were raised in. Yeah. It's insane. That that's how the movie begins in some ways. Is my dad was in sort of rural Taiwan and it was a period of turmoil in Taiwan. You know, as the Kuomintang were, were coming over and taking over and things were changing. And can you even comprehend that? We always I always had a bed to sleep in. I always had food to eat. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my parents didn't. <laughs> you know, that's crazy. That is truly crazy. And so, yeah, does it make sense that they're a little bit emotionally hardened? It's because they had to be. That's part. That's one of the themes of the movie as well. You know, it's like, let's understand this from both angles. Let's meet in the middle. Let's have the kids ask their parents questions and let's have the parents answer them. You it's know? one of the most powerful episodes for me when the Master of None episode where you give the perspective from the parents coming to this country because I had never seen that before. And again, to be seen, even though I'm not of that culture, it was very powerful, still is. And I, I've i been working through a lot of this stuff with my own shrink and obviously this book, and I wonder if you agree. It's one of the things I've learned and trying to learn is that we live in a world where multiple things can be true. I can still be mad at my dad <laughs> for the shit that he's done yeah, and my parents, but I'm learning the other side. Yeah, and you can still understand. You know what I mean? It's like it's not about they were right, they were wrong. They might have been wrong. But you have some idea of why that happened, you know? It's And, and um, I think, again, like we were saying earlier, it's a maturation thing. And it's, and it, and it's a, you know, it's, it, it certainly is a, man, it's, it's certainly a moment in my life where I, I'm, I'm very proud to have made this movie and, and to be able to show it to my dad because— Has he seen it yet? He has not seen it. That We had sort of a funny thing where, um, you know, I was writing the script, right? And— uh, I, sometimes I'm in New York for work and, uh, sometimes my dad will come over to my place in LA and, and sort of check on it. And one time he said, uh, uh, again, I had not shown the script to anybody in my family. And he said, he got an email from the exterminator from Orkin and he said, Hey, uh, I can go let the Orkin guy in if you want. I was like, that'd be great. Thank you. And so he went over and then later he, uh, he emailed me and said, uh, so yeah, I let in the exterminator. Everything's fine. Uh, I saw your script sitting on the coffee table, so I just read it. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, great!" And then he said, uh, he, "He said he loved it, and and he was really, uh, he was really sort of touched." And um, look, and and that's credit to him because it is not necessarily one hundred percent flattering. You know, it's 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 what I hope is an honest portrayal, um, and it's very much from his point of view, right? A lot of it takes place in the 50s, 60s, 70s in Taiwan. And it's a lot, look, a lot of it's fabricated and, 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 and sort of fictionalized and, and dramatized for, for effect. But there's stuff in there, right? I mean, there's a scene where my parents get divorced. There's a scene where, you know, there's scenes where, um, you know, he's having confrontations with my sister. And, and, and I'm not in the movie, by the way. My character is not in the, 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 move. the Yeah, yeah not, not in the movie, which is, which is a, a, a relief. But um, you know, that stuff was really honest and, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't even know if I should say this stuff, but, uh, my, you know, my dad, uh, is, you know, he recently, uh, has, you know, he's gotten a little bit sick and, and, and so, um, it's, it's just all the more meaningful. And, um, you know, there's actually very, this is a little Easter egg for people. I don't think they'll really pick up on this cause you can't really tell, but there's a little bit of voiceover that starts and ends the movie. And uh, it's my dad in the voiceover booth. <laughs> so he's, he's doing the voiceover to start. Amazing. Movie, which is pretty cool. Um, because he does speak with a Taiwanese accent because that motherfucker's Taiwanese. <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, immigrated, becoming an incredibly successful doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he was an OBGYN in San Bernardino, California, where, where I grew up. And uh, that dude worked hard, man. That dude worked hard. Now, let's just say I'm not Asian and I just watched this movie and I have a whole shit ton of questions. <laughs> yeah. This is your opportunity to be like, hey, this is what you should be looking out for. I would say this. I would say, hopefully, when you're watching the movie, you're connected to the characters and you're connected to the story. And secondarily, you might learn a little bit more about what it's like to be from these different cultures and move to America. There's a section, no spoiler alert, but there's a section where my dad and my mom move from Taiwan to the Bronx, which is real. And they're living in the Bronx in the 70s. And it's like, there's no Asian people there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's a, that's a, can you imagine? That's a tough look. Like my, my mom told, you know, I, I, I basically interviewed my parents and talked to them as much as I could to get some stories for the movie. And 
my mom told me a story that, you know, didn't make it in, but she said they lived in a tough part of town. And at one point they invited basically the only two other friends they had in the city to come over for dinner. The friends came over, they drove their car, they parked outside, they came up and had dinner. And when they walked outside, uh, their hubcaps and their wheels had been stolen. <laughs> and those friends never came back and visited. And it was like, okay, now it's my mom and dad alone. <laughs> and so there's stuff in the movie where it's like, um, you know, a big night out for them was going to Burger King because they didn't have any money. And it was like that they would go out to Burger King, you know, once every six months or something. And the rest of the time they would eat at home. And 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 just to fathom that stuff is is an interesting thing. And it puts you in the shoes of a Taiwanese American immigrant who came in the 70s and what that might have been like. And you might know nothing about that, but watching the movie, at least even from an anthropological perspective, like that's kind of interesting to me. And hopefully you enjoy the story and hopefully you enjoy, you know, what it looks like. I think, you know, there's beautiful shots and, and, you know, Nigel Block, our cinematographer, did an amazing job. I'm really happy with how it looks. You know, we shot a lot of it on 16 millimeter film, which not a lot of people get to do. And, and, you know, I, st I feel like that stuff looks amazing. So, um, you know, hopefully you're connected to the characters and connected to the story and you're following the emotions of the movie. But at the same time, I do think it's interesting if you know nothing about what it's like to be an Asian American immigrant, this gives you a little bit of a window into it. And I, and I, I promise you that a lot of it is based in reality. There, there, there's, there's sort of a level of verisimilitude in the movie that is, that treads on, uh, borders on psych psychotic and some some aspects like I there's you know another Easter egg for people who I mean it's just a piece of information but you know there's there's scenes in the movie that are shot at, uh, you know, at the sugar factory you know my my dad and my grandma worked at a sugar factory you know in real life my my grandma made burlap sacks that they put the sugar in and then they could transport it and we were in Taiwan scouting for factories and we saw all these factories and they weren't quite right they looked too new or they you know whatever. And I said, can we just go look at the real one? <laughs> and we went and looked at the real factory that they worked in and we shot there. Because <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's 1970 in that factory. And it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, that's unbelievable. It's, it's the actual place. And it looks like a time capsule. Powerful stuff. <laughs> and that's all I want anyone that's going to watch this movie or has watched this movie to understand because I've known you a long time. I've never seen you take this fucking thing so seriously, <laughs> ever. It's one of the hardest things I've ever and, done. Man. And I want people to appreciate whether they loved it or not is to appreciate that this is your story and you're, you didn't have to tell this story, but you did it because you had to. That's actually, that's a good point, you know, and it goes back to the thing I was talking about, about how you choose what you want to do. And, and, and really the most important thing, the most important resource that someone like you or someone like me has in some ways is time, right? And so when you choose something to work on, you better really want to do it. And, and I think you're right, you know, when you say like, oh, I could have maybe directed a studio comedy or like written something that was kind of more easily digestible or do something a little broader or do something, something even more tonally similar to stuff I've done before, but I chose to do this because I really cared about it the most. And that's, that again, that is a lucky situation to be in. I acknowledge that. And um, man, it, 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 it's, yeah, it, it, it's really gratifying and sort of, again, I, f I feel a lot of gratitude for towards other people to get to do that. And I haven't seen this movie yet. And that's the thing is I would, I read a lot of criticism of a variety of fields, and it always bothers me when it gets, like, someone writes it from, like, a sociopathic perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, and and I do not want anyone to be like, because this is your story. I'd be, like, as your friend, very protective to be like, that's unacceptable to be a total dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think there's any any need to be a total dick in any sort of context. I, I do appreciate what what critics sort of add to the conversation, and they've been very— generally kind to the stuff that I've worked on. So I'm very, you know, grateful to them for that. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, like, like I was saying earlier, not everyone's going to love everything, man. I'm seeing people shit on the Irishman. I'm seeing people shit on all these movies. And it's like, well, a lot of talented people worked really hard on all these things. You know, not to say that everything's good and you can't criticize. Obviously, you can criticize. But, you know, I agree with you that like, People love like a, an evisceration, like a yeah. negative review, and like yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm really celebrating really the intense, right? I agree. I agree. When it's a I when agree. it's a pure thing, I think it's a sacred thing, man. Like it really is. It's like that is a holy thing that you should not fuck with. <laughs> I, I here's what I would say is like, 
I'd appreciate a caveat in any negative review should any arise. Like, hey, it seemed like this guy's heart was in the right place. (laughs) That's all, you know what I mean? Like, that's it. Because, like, when you do something this personal, like, I I just don't think there's any room for it to be a total jerk. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, the movie stands on its own two feet and people, you know. But here's the thing with Alan. Almost everything he does is widely fucking loved. (laughs) One of these guys. But, um... You know, it's funny, this entire process, when I've asked you about how it's going, even the last time you we were on this podcast, you're like, oh, yeah, no, it's an art house film. No one's going <laughs> to no one's gonna like it. I, you know, I, and you correctly, you correctly picked up on, it's like, you're protecting yourself, man. You know, it's like, <laughs> but it's like, I do, I actually do think, I hope people like it. And, and I do think it's not just an art house film, I'm not damning it that way. But, but the reason I think I was couching it in those terms is that was a lot of the inspiration for the movie. You know, again, like, it, 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 it isn't like, you know, when I was watching movies to sort of get in the right headspace and sort of uh, inspire me for making this movie, I was watching movies by Ho Xiao Shen, a director that I guarantee you 99% of the people listening to this were like, who the fuck is that? And he's a Taiwanese director who directed a movie called City of Sadness. And I watched a lot of Edward Yang, who uh, directed a movie called E.E. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, obviously watched some Wong Kar Wai and, 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 you know, these movies, some of these movies are masterpieces and they may not, you know, they may not financially be a tentpole for a studio, but I think they are such important pieces of work and they are ultimately so effective at garnering an emotional and intellectual and a real visceral response from the audience. And that's what I'd love to be able to do, regardless of all the other stuff is can you watch the movie? Do you feel something? Do you care about what's happening? And did it change you in some way? And that is, that's really, you know, that's all you can hope for. Proud of you, man. Uh, it's funny, dude, that we're growing up. It's fucking weird. We're right? getting old, man. We are getting old. <laughs> um, one last thing before we get you out of here, because like we've been on a text thread. We've been bitching and moaning about being a boss and all the shit that we have to deal with. <laughs> Mostly but, Dave complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I love being a boss. <laughs> Phil Simmons. <laughs> um, Let's not drag Bill into this. This is his network, man. <laughs> but uh, Bill's very happy. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you again, just from like, because I have a better understanding of your creative process than most of the guests that come on because I know you when you have history. You're working like a lunatic on this project. But this is something that I try to tell my own chefs when they're working on a menu. It's important that you're doing other shit too. Do you agree with that? I totally agree. I totally agree. And and look, there's no substitute for working your ass off, doing it every day, and spending a lot of time on something. That will make it better. That being said, when it's a creative endeavor like this or like making a menu or anything like that, you don't know where you're going to pull from. You're not, you don't know. Like right now I'm, I'm working on a couple other shows and, and writing some stuff and, and, and every day trying to sort of brainstorm and marshal new ideas. And my girlfriend and I, for some reason, watched The Notebook. I had never seen The Notebook before. She's like, we got to watch The Notebook. It was like, you know, late at night. We put it on and I got something out of that movie. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like, you, you never, you never know. We, you know, it's, or, or whatever you might, you might have a meal that inspires you as a writer. You might go on a trip that inspires you. Again, I think all we can do as people who are sort of creating, uh, pretentiously say, works of art in some way, all you are is sort of a conduit from your personal life experiences and what you've experienced into that piece of work. You got to put yourself into it. And so you have to have some experiences and something interesting and something stimulating happen to you to at some point write about it. And, and and I think that's a salient point. Like if you just sit in a room every day and write scripts and never do anything else, I think those scripts will start to become pretty boring because you'll draw on your childhood. You're drawing all the stuff that you did before that. But then at a certain point, you're going to run out of stuff. So yeah, I mean, like, Look, man, I, I love to I love to travel. I love to, you know, but I you obviously also work love, on other projects simultaneously. Yes, the, yeah. That to me I think is the secret sauce. Well, it's maybe. It's also a little insane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like like honestly, like when you start bucking, I think you sort of top out. So look, at this point, like, you know, we were talking before the podcast about, you know, other shows I'm working on and stuff. And some of them I'm a producer on. And on those projects, like I've been lucky enough to pair up with 
people who are very talented writers and directors and producers themselves. And so on those, I try to offer assistance. I try to you know work on casting. I watch cuts and I read scripts and I give notes and all that stuff. But I'm not in the trenches, you know, show running those shows. So that's possible to do. I would say in terms of if you're writing, directing, producing, whatever, all, all of those things, I don't think you can really do more than two at the same time. I mean, I think I might go crazy. Like, there, you know, that's where it comes in handy to have a co-creator, you know, where it's actually possible. Um, but when you're in the middle of it, and I think like when we're shooting, like when I was shooting the movie, I wasn't doing other stuff. Right. And when I was shooting Master of None, I wasn't doing other stuff. And when I was doing Forever, like in the middle of it, you know, in the beginning when you're writing and you're sort of brainstorming, yeah, maybe you can. And that's fun to do. You know, right now I'm in the process of, you know, brainstorming a couple things and, you know, we're out going out pitching a show and all that stuff. But that's really fun. I mean, I, like this morning, like I did some of that. And that's really, I mean, that's what what better? Anything is possible. You know, it's, you know, it's really like, you know, it, it could be great. You know, that's the really exciting part of it. So there's going to be no like extended vacation after this movie's out and the publicity tour is done. We we got to work, man. I, I, I got some stuff. <laughs> there's stuff in the hopper that is already in motion. There's no, there's no rest, man. There's no rest. Oh, I'm going to actually, I'm going to Asia next week. And so um, I'll be going to Japan um, where we met and uh, going to Taiwan. And uh, so that'll be a nice break. Um. I'm glad we did this. I think it's an interesting sort of test to see uh, the creative process before it's actually finished, and then to talk to you again uh, in a, what two, three months when the movie comes out, and 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 get your vantage point from all the data that you're going to get. Um, and again, I, I mean this like I'm so happy and proud of you that you're doing this and you took the time and opportunity. So uh, I am one of your biggest fans and supporters and not just your friends. So well, thank you so much, man. I, your friendship has meant a lot, a lot. And, and, you know, honestly, sometimes on these pods, we get more emotional than we do in real life, exactly. but, but really it's been awesome hanging out with you and, and, and seeing you grow and change as well. And, and, and uh, uh, thank you so much for having me on. That was the pre-opening diaries of Tiger Tail with Alan Yang. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And I think it's going to give you a different insight. And if you haven't watched the movie or if you're going to watch the movie to listen to this and then watch it again, it's so important to understand why someone that's creating something did anything a specific way. And, you know, knowing Alan, he doesn't do anything by like just willy nilly. There, there's always a thoughtful reasoning as to why anything gets done in his sort of creative endeavor. So I thought it was important. And even though I'm not Taiwanese American, I was certainly moved by a lot of the scenes in the movie because while we're all very different, it makes me increase my empathy for my own father who came to this country in 1963. And uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. There's a lot to be explored there, and I'm excited that the world gets to see what Alan worked on, and um, I'm proud of him. So I don't know what the next podcast is. We we have a bunch going on, and I know we have two small to fails with a variety of chefs and uh, maybe some people that are not chefs but just small business owners, and uh, we've banked some ridiculous movie reviews. I don't know if we'll ever release them, but um, we keep on tinkering appreciate it and uh send us questions at askdave at majordomamedia.com and uh, if you have any recipes that you want to be explored i'm happy to try to answer them and post them on social media and just keep on supporting us however you can give us five stars on itunes also that's another way to get your question answered give us five stars and we will answer your question if you give us five stars that's it guys stay tuned for the next podcast i'm not even sure when that is happening be safe everybody